I met my best friend Anne in 1985. And the Babysitter's Club kept her friendship alive. Then Emily was born in 1988. And she said, Thanks, Aunt Esme. These books are great. Now we're all grown up and we're living our dreams. As a writer and a scholar and an expert on teens. And we're gonna start again from the very first book because we're stuck. Welcome to Stuck in Stony Brook, a podcast about the Babysitter's Club. Today we're discussing book 53, Christy for President. And today we have a very special guest joining us to talk women in politics, Danielle Hanley. Danielle Hanley is Assistant Professor of Political Science at Clark University. She received her PhD in Political Science, focusing on political theory from the University of Pennsylvania in 2018. She has previously taught courses at University of Pennsylvania, Stockton University, and Rutgers University. Dr. Hanley is interested in the role of emotions in political life. Her work draws together scholarship from political theory, classical studies, feminist thought, and performance studies to consider the work of grief and rage in politics. I'm so excited, you guys. Um, She's (laughs) currently working on her first book project based on her dissertation research, which examines grief, rage, and solidarity in the context of Greek tragedy and contemporary protest movements. She's also a co-host of Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. Welcome, Danielle. We're so happy to have you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. This is very exciting. I feel like Esme almost cried while reading that. (laughs) Not yet. Not yet. I'm sure I will later in the episode. There's still time. I was just thinking that Emily must feel good because I feel like we've had other writers on and we've had other psychologists on, but we've never doubled up on political theorists before. So I feel like Emily's, (laughs) Emily's time has come. I'm here for the solidarity. Yeah. Um, Also, Danielle and I, full disclosure, have podcasted together on several other podcasts before. (laughs) We've done Always Already podcasts before, which is like extreme critical theory, nerddom, madness. And then also recently, um, I was a guest on Danielle's new new podcast, Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. And so we're, we're well versed in reading texts together, but this is our first time reading The Babysitter's Club. So I am very, very, very pleased to have Danielle here. <laughs> yeah. Also, Danielle, are you are you and Emily about the same age? Is that, are you also, are we also yeah. finally like 50-50 millennials and Gen X on this show? Yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm like, I think about four years older than Emily, but, but like oh. still <clears throat> in the, yep. I'm like an elder millennial. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was... Us. Very young in, in my grad school cohort. And and my grad school cohort, like, I was basically, like, the median age. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went back to grad school, I guess, six years after I graduated undergrad. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I lived a whole other life. Yeah. <laughs> Probably better. Wisely. Wisely. Yeah. Wisely. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, shall we get into our one-sentence summaries, folks? Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Yeah. Okay. Mine is, Christy runs for president, and somehow that relates to Jamie Newton learning to ride a bike. Mine's a question. <laughs> right? Yeah. The B-plot is very... Hey, they made it work. Tenuously connected. They did oh, did work. they? <laughs> but, like, shoehorned in. Yeah. <laughs> I still don't get it. You guys might have to spell it out for me. Uh, I ignored the B-plot in my summary. Mine was, Christy experiences anxiety for the first time and learns some strong lessons about overcommitment. Hmm. Mm. Esme always gives the best one, so I can make a random one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Nice. 
Mine's a little dark. Oh. Okay. okay. Mine is Alan Gray hits women and runs for student body president. Oh my God. Oh my God. Damn. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, didn't so that, didn't that. It happens. It happens several times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mine's not as dark as that, but it is Christy tries to add political operative to her two full resume. Very oh, good. Yeah, very good. I love that. Very good. Oh. Yeah, Alan in this one. It's so confusing because just just one book ago, Christy and Alan were getting along famously as egg Racing parents. Raising an egg baby as co-parents. Yeah. And they were both into it and they both took the, they understood the assignment. They took it seriously. And then all of a sudden it's like back to Alan rage and, and Alan bashing. But like it's I feel like it's because Bart is like very much in the picture mm. on the periphery in this book. Oh, yeah, he's he's looming as another commitment that she's failing at. Yeah. (laughs) And like multiple commitments. So hot. Wow. There we go. When when he called Emily and said, hi, stranger, I was like, oh, Emily's all over this. She can't. She's not going to handle it. She's like, she's probably like, she's probably like, I died. Yeah. I was like, you know what? Fine. I'll quit all my other commitments to hang out with you, Bart Taylor. Yeah. When I first read this book I definitely was like pining for a Bart Taylor to call me and like just like be like hey stranger it's like yeah mm-hmm. remind you Thanks. that you've overcommitted yourself and that you have to live life right invite <laughs> me to watch his softball practice that he yeah. coaches <laughs> like see I'm telling you Bart is hot this is my <laughs> this is my thing <laughs> it's the dream it's the dream okay you guys we should probably back up and tell you about the members of the podcast I'm Esme Schaller an adolescent psychologist I'm kind of bossy but I have a big heart I'm Annie Chikawa a freelance writer I'm a mischievous pragmatist with the sweet tooth I'm Emily Crandall a feminist scholar I'm a total individual and I like health food I'm Danielle Hanley a political theory professor and I'm completely type a but I do surf yeah <laughs> okay Excellent. So you have a little done. We'll get into it. We'll yeah, into it. yeah, yeah. And, and Stacy, Stacy's the one that takes the surfing lessons. That's and, true. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's when yeah. Stacy's being bad. Yeah. Well, boy, crazy Stacy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll get there. Okay. Well, if you want to learn more about us and how we know each other, check out our prologue episode. Also, rate and review us. It really helps people find the podcast. And if you have any questions, comments, or commentary about anything BSC related, drop us a line at stuckinstonybrook at gmail.com. Also, you can support us at Patreon at patreon.com slash stuck in Sony Book. Now, let's get into it with Danielle. We've got, a lot, of, we've got yes. a lot of questions to ask her. I want to know about this like gap of six years in your life. <laughs> oh, well, I was a paralegal in New York City for two years, and I literally on day one was like, oh, I feel like a monkey climbing down the evolutionary ladder to get to work. <laughs> like, this is my nightmare. And so from from that moment on, I was like, earn money and like figure out what the next step is, not law school. And then political theory came (laughs) into the horizon. Well, before that, I I lived in Israel for four years and learned Hebrew and studied political science in Hebrew, which was like a very yeah cool weird. I'm fluent in Hebrew. If you have any, and I can read ancient Greek (laughs) fluently, so like. Very that important is cool. language skills. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You know what? Highly great party tricks, at least. <laughs> yeah. Great party tricks. Actually, on not on not quite great books, there's an episode a couple before the one you were on, Emily, mm-hmm. where there's like these negotiations between like the Soviet Union, Israel, and the U.S. And there's like 
some Hebrew yelled in that episode. So I like took the opportunity to yell Hebrew on our podcast. I love that. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. What is ancient Greek? Yeah. What does that sound like? So actually, I have no idea because ancient Greek is not spoken Mm. because the only ancient Greek that we have like fully preserved is Greek from from like these texts that were that were likely recorded and like spoken aloud. So, I mean, like, in general, ancient Greek, like, the words sound like, I, I guess, like, modern Greek. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the the way you decipher it is, like, very complicated and takes a lot of summers of learning. Wow. <laughs> That's some dedication. Interesting. You know, grad Amazing. students are just, like, looking for summer funding. <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. Well, to tie this back into the Babysitter's Club, which 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 babysitter do you think would be the best at languages? Mm. Oh, I mean, I think it's probably Mallory. Mm. Yeah. She's like the bookwormiest mm-hmm. and the one that I definitely identified with most when I was younger. Mm. Less about the horse books, but more just like books, big family, oldest, like all of that. Mm, gotcha. The only one of us who was a little bit of a horse girl was Esme. Yeah, but like just a little bit, not like yeah. Mallory. Yeah. You didn't. You didn't have a deep dark secret. You didn't pretend to be horses. Yeah. No, not really. <laughs> well, we have canon that Jesse's good at languages. Like that's the whole premise of her getting the job with Matt oh, Braddock. Right with the sign language. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but I think she wasn't. Didn't she like go on vacation someplace and she picked up more of. The, the language than her family did and so she sort of decided yeah. she was good at languages based on that <laughs> I will say that I skipped a lot of Jesse books growing up because my mom was a ballet dancer and I like didn't want to I and we had to take <laughs> ballet and I like didn't want any part of it that it. is amazing that wow. is amazing <laughs> that's like something that you would do as a as a kid too yeah, yeah. I love that I love the passive aggression that's so great like I don't know I'm not I'm not interested in Jesse I'm rebelling <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna read the the book about the horse girl. <laughs> yeah, instead of the ballerina. <laughs> so, yeah. when you first started reading the BSC, did you start with book one, or like how did you first um, find out about them? No, I started with book. I believe it's book eleven. It's um, Hello Mallory, or maybe that's thirteen. Fourteen. Some, Fourteen. Yeah. <laughs> when I ha- when I <laughs> purchased it, or I guess was like it was purchased for me when I was younger. It was like a cream colored, like this like peach colored uh, cover. But I think it like now in the reprints has had a different color. I believe I got that book at like a Scholastic Book Fair. Mm. Classic. (laughs) When I was in first grade. (laughs) And it was like a little too, like a chapter book was maybe like a little bit more advanced than I was. But we used to go on vacation to Shelter Island, which is this like island in between the forks on Long Island. And it's about an hour and 15 minute drive from my parents. And so I was like, I'm not sitting in silence for this entire car ride. So I like taught myself how to read in the car. And and that was the first book I read. Amazing. (laughs) Wow. Wow. You have some good stories about (laughs) they're better than mine. (laughs) I feel like the Babysitter's Club is like so deeply entwined in my childhood that it is. There are certain books like I can remember the cover ripping off Boy Crazy Stacy. Mm -hmm. So like after I read Hello Mallory, then I was like, oh, they're like, this is number 14. I don't think I even realized it. Mm -hmm. And then I went back and started from the beginning. 
and then, then did you read them chronologically from there? Or mostly kind of, chronologically, except for anything that had ballet, of course. Yeah, well, I like. There's like some Jessie books that I've read. I feel like there's one where she's a synchronized swimmer, and I was a swimmer growing up, so I was mm-hmm. like, I'll read this one. Yes, Jessie's gold medal. We're not yeah. there yet, but it's coming. Fifty-five. Yeah. As we know, every right. single yeah, book. What? And what number it is. It's bananas. What the heck? Anna and I are just like we're just along for the ride. I already forgot the book we read last week, so yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Same. <laughs> oh my god. This is a good oh, stretch man. of books though. I feel like the 50s, like 50s to 60s is actually like a really good set of books. Amazing. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, Anne and I are definitely entering the territory because these are coming out now as we're heading into freshman year of high school. So yeah. we're entering the territory where we kind of dropped off. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear you say that because I think we once once we hit like 45, we were like, uh oh, what's what's a coming? Well and so- <laughs> I, my favorite, I, one of my favorites is, is Marianne's Makeover, which I believe is 60. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that I remember. That's yeah. a good one. <laughs> anyway. Okay. You already said that you identified with Mallory right off the bat. Are there other characters that you associate with now and sort of like who are, what are, what's the mixture that, that Listen, makes I up wanna, Danielle? <laughs> I want to be like Claudia and Stacy because like reading the descriptions of their clothes was like something that gave me so much pleasure when I was younger. And mm-hmm. even going back to this one, I was like, I can't wait till we get the, the outfits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like chapter two, where are the outfits? Mm-hmm. Um, Always in chapter two. <laughs> I am a Christy slash Abby, which she'll she'll get here later. Mm-hmm. But uh, when Abby jumped on the scene, I was like, oh, this is absolutely me. <laughs> That's um, so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm not even familiar with Abby because <laughs> yeah. I think I will I will say that Abby was coming out and I was like too old to be reading these books, but I was still reading. Them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we've definitely bought them into college occasionally, at least. Yeah. Um, but Abby didn't come out till we were Anne and I were done with college. So yeah. then then it was really at that point, I think we couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Get ready. Abby, Abby brings a whole new energy to the sure. to the mix. Excellent. Only only like 40 more books to go till we meet her. So yeah. <laughs> um, we'll have to have you back for our first Abby book. Yeah. <laughs> in, done. So in our outline, it just says crying. And I'm just going to kick that over to Esme because I think that's her her question. Well, Emily, I reached out to Emily and I was like, oh, Christy for President's coming up. We should have a political scientist on like this. This is great. We got, you know, women in politics. Like, what do you who do you think? What do you, and she was like, oh, you'll love my friend Danielle. She'd be great. Like, I think that like we should invite her. And then, you know, she sent us your faculty page or whatever. And I was like. Mm-hmm the shit she studies public crying and I got so excited (laughs) so very excited because it's like definitely a long-running joke on the podcast that at least once an episode either Emily or Anne will ask me if I'm crying um and uh I I do I am a crier um and it's gotten gotten more so the older I get and after having kids and things like that and so I am frustrated by and very aware of all of the rules about public crying in Western society and the impact of it and have had professional situations that uh, where I was very angry that I cried and where I was crying because I was angry, but there was no way around it. So I would just love to hear your, you know, your elevator pitch about this work. I'm so (laughs) interested and excited about it. Like I was just like, oh, that's genius. (laughs) I love it when people are excited about this work because it made me cry for a lot of grad school. So yeah, Basically, so meta. Like, 
honestly, in my dissertation defense, I was <laughs> said like, my work is about crying and I'll likely cry during this presentation, yes. at which point I then started hysterical crying and was like blubbering through the rest of the other 10 minutes. It's like a real, real ah, I wish I could give you a hug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, I basically sort of like in my first year of grad school, I had a professor who was like really mean to me. And, you know, I had said that I, I said to you all that I lived in Israel for four years. So like I'm Jewish fine and we were reading Nietzsche's birth of tragedy Mm. and (laughs) I went to the professor because I was like struggling in her class like she just like wasn't anything I would say she would like totally dismiss my advisor was like you should go talk to her like just try to you know try to smooth the waters Mm -hmm. (sighs) so I like went to talk to her and she was like you know, for a Jewish girl, you don't, you just don't seem to understand tragedy. And I was like, I, I don't even know how to process this. What? Yeah. So then I went to my advisor's office and I just started hysterical crying. I was like, I don't know how to compute that, how to deal with it. Like that doesn't seem relevant. My response to her in the moment was, well, my dad's Catholic. (laughs) Oh my God, Danielle. (laughs) Yes. So I spent a lot of that second semester of first year of grad school in my advisor's office, who was a man crying on his couch. And he like, didn't know how to deal Mm -hmm. with that. No, you broke his brain. (laughs) It really did. He has two daughters. So I do feel like I have helped them in their lives. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But (laughs) then the sort of like the, the solution was, okay, you're going to write about crying and the expression of emotions and like the like political punishment around that. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. is what my dissertation was about. Incredible. So good. <laughs> I'm trying to remember now, like, is there any point in this book where Christy like cries from being overwhelmed? No, it's yeah. not a Marianne book. Like the only but time we get a crier. <laughs> we yeah. only get crying in Marianne books, right? No, they've uh, they've other ones have cried. Dawn cries when she loses Nikki Pike or That's Buddy true. Barrett. Mm-hmm. Um, and Stacy cries. Yeah, when she's having like diabetic shock. And- I also feel like <laughs> Stacy cries like when Lane is is like like with the Lane yes. breakup. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I was just Claudia cries by. about Mimi. Um, Claudia cries about Mimi. Yeah. Well, sort of. For a while, well, she doesn't cry. Oh, I meant kind of part yeah, of the plot. I, sorry. Yes, but I meant like the stroke too. Like she cries mm-hmm. a lot in Mean Janine, and then eventually cries in Sad Goodbye. So yeah, they they cry. Um, but but no no one cries as much as Marianne. Let's be obvious. Yeah. Let's be honest. So true. Is- <laughs> yeah, she cries over her egg baby. What, yeah. what are you gonna do? I know. I know. <laughs> so is there Danielle? Is there any situation in current? western public political life where Mm -hmm. crying is helpful yeah so i think like i don't know if i would necessarily call it helpful but i do think that like a lot of the discourse right now is around like white women's tears and the way in which Mm -hmm. tears get mobilized Mm -hmm. to like insulate or protect and like based like on the sort of like pernicious intersection of race and gender right and to alienate others so like I don't think that's a good version of tears, no. but I mm-hmm. do think that like something like white women's tears illustrates the power of like invoking like weakness and vulnerability as a, as a way to reinforce exclusion. Right. Yeah. As a shield against your yeah. racism. Right. So it's not that it's like going to help you win an election, but it can be utilized. Yeah. It's, well, it can be utilized we'll talk about that 
in yeah. this episode. Yeah. <laughs> I would say that the other, in my dissertation, I look at um, like one of the, the texts that I read is mm-hmm. the protests around like Parkland mm-hmm. and that school shooting. Cause I was writing sort of in the aftermath mm-hmm. of that. And so thinking about, I'm interested in the way that tears are a non-articulate form of expression that like are often read as like alienating or putting people off, but actually Mm -hmm. do work to connect us to one another. Mm -hmm. And Parkland, I think is like a good example of that. You see Emma Gonzalez like crying on stage. And then you also like, there are all these reports that then everybody starts crying in the crowd. In the crowd. Yeah. 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 Well that, so as a clinical psychologist, that's really interesting to me because, of course, that's the evolutionary purpose of tears, right? right? Like the reason we have sadness is to connect and and bring people closer together and keep keep the tribe and and yeah. keep people safe and all of that stuff. And so it's interesting. It's very interesting to me the way we're sort of enculturated to have tears be a step back yeah. from somebody thing instead of a move forward. Like what have we sort of done as a society to make that happen because so I work with people with really strong much stronger than average emotions okay and one of the things I often talk about is how our society is pretty invalidating of emotion and my example living in the Bay Area is what happens if you cry on Muni or BART the public transit systems and everybody's always like oh yeah people don't sit next to you like they (laughs) they back up they they move away which is of course not what we're really supposed to do as human beings and so when do we see that connection actually happen yeah. in public life versus in private life? Yeah. And like, when can that connection be mobilized to something more? Like, that's mm-hmm. sort of the question I'm interested in. Like, okay, there are these moments where the, you know, the socialized coding, like we break it and we mm-hmm. move towards one another. Does that open the door to something beyond that? Some kind of political transformation or movement building? Like, what's the what are the the next steps that need to happen and that's like a little mm-hmm. bit of what my book is doing now nice amazing so um, my only last question on crying is if you have a, a an analysis of Brett Kavanaugh's beer tears like <laughs> I mean I think like there he's he's basically trying to mobilize something like white women's tears right like mm-hmm. it's not exactly yeah. that Feels but himself. it's yeah. It, yeah yeah it's like he's trying to erect the shield and do so by like feigning vulnerability. And it's just like idiots like, you know, Susan Collins are like, yep, he feels mm-hmm. bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what yeah. a real outpouring of emotion. Yeah. Yeah. That oh, was like man. one of my biggest moments of joy in the last five years. <laughs> one of my fa- all time favorite, was it? I think it was when Jon Stewart was on The Daily Show, Bits is one of those long it's like a two-part segment where he's like mm-hmm. the women are crazy mm-hmm. and it, and he juxtaposes all the news coverage of mostly male but also some women kind of news commentators talking about how volatile certain women are in <laughs> public figures and then with that smash cuts that with like all these men crying in public and everyone being like, wow, he's so patriotic. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think, totally. I think the segment's called the broads must be crazy. It's, <laughs> it's such a good, nice. such a good bit. Well, the first <laughs> paper that I wrote about crying, like that eventually became part of my dissertation started with comparing Hillary Clinton in 2008 against Mitch McConnell, who like mm-hmm. cried all the time, all the time. Like, like a lover turtle. Yeah. <laughs> so. Wow. So good. Okay. Shall we jump into the book? 
Yeah. Sounds good. So Danielle, typically we invite our guests to sort of start us off with kind of what jumped out at you. What what are some threads that you thought were interesting plot points? Tell us, t- how was re- revisiting this book for you? <laughs> I was so happy to revisit this book. I forgot how comforting the like chapter that just describes the family and then the babysitter's club and all the babies. I was like, oh my God, I'm back with my friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I think accounts for like not having that many friends growing up. I have a ton of siblings. So like, I, I never went on a play date before fifth grade. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I just only played with my siblings and my cousins. So, but also the babysitters club. Um, The themes that jumped out at me. So (laughs) I was like, the overextension, Christy's overextension felt very stressful to me because it felt like that's how I exist in this world. And I don't think that that would have jumped out at me in the same way when I was younger reading this. Right. Yeah. Also my like, you know, gender studies brain was, was, was jumping. And I was like, Oh, they're really putting on like all the Bart stuff. I was like, this is a whole effort to like make Christy straight. And I don't think that she is. And then I was listening to you guys talk. And then earlier episode, and I was like, oh, that's a theme that they pick up on too. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, And then just like the, the, like, I feel like there are not a ton of books where we get, where we get a lot of the SMS landscape. Mm -hmm. And so there was like, there was Grace and Pete and Alan, like all the other SMS folks that we Mm -hmm. like don't always get. And I I was like enjoying that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I remember when I was younger being like, I don't care about these people. Like, (laughs) what are the babysitters doing? Yeah, we talk about often how the members of the BSC are portrayed as so like multidimensional and dynamic, right? They they all have their one line descriptors, but Mm -hmm. they all kind of bleed into each other in different moments of like either stress or or relaxing or whatever but like the other kids kind of all seem to be one note right like we often talk about how they're like the mean girls and the bsc are the good girls or whatever and i feel like we got a little bit of that in the like which candidate represents which group sort of like way that christy's kind of hedging her bets in with the whole candidacy and stuff but i thought it was interesting that pete black ends up being the kind of like palatable i don't know like but yeah. Biden? <laughs> yeah, he's like, totally the Biden of this book. I literally, in my notes, I have, who is Pete Black in all capital letters? Because we've seen quite a development of him over time from like the author project in Marianne versus Logan. Yeah. And um, where he and Marianne kind of carry the whole thing yes. because Cokie's trying to steal Logan. Oh, and then, but he, okay. he also dates Stacy. But he also, like, he's kind of, he's all he over the place. He would dance with Dawn at some point. Yeah, I think he goes to dance with Dawn and Stacy and maybe Claudia at some point. He's um, like the everyman. Biden is yeah. exactly the right. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> because he also, like, Lane doesn't think he's cool enough, right? Isn't he the one that mm-hmm. asks Lane yeah. to the Valentine's dance? Yes, um, that's and, right. And Lane's and, like, yeah. no, why would yeah. I go with you? And yeah. he's like one of the coolest guys in SMS. And Lane's like, ew, no. Like, so I'm just like, I'm trying to figure out who he is, but I guess that's what it is, right? Joe Biden was like an attractive younger guy. Like, <laughs> like he's just like, but I feel like Super because the road. he's like always around and always like confident, 
then mm-hmm. it does make sense, like at least narratively over the arc of the series, that mm-hmm. he's the one that is also like competent enough to be president, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. against Grace and then, and then yeah. Alan. Alan. Yeah. <laughs> the his gag at the assembly where he's like, everyone stand up. <laughs> yeah. What? Everyone sit down. You all just did what I said. Vote for me for president. <laughs> like, who thought, like, that was a joke his older brother told him, right? Yes. Like, well, how yes. else would he Emily. come up with that? Emily. That would kill in the eighth grade, though. Yeah. That is, like, genius. You got a room of 13 and 14-year-olds? That is the best campaign speech ever. I can't even. Yeah, this book actually made me think Alan Gray is going to be successful in his later years, <laughs> to be honest. Right? Alan Gray is a crypto bro. Yes. Totally. <laughs> but but also, like, the... So I was having trouble because I was like, was this in the book or was this something that happened in my, like, eighth grade, somebody running for president? I was like, was this in a Babysitter's Club book that someone promised, like, nicer toilet paper in the bathrooms which does feel like something that alan gray would do but it mm-hmm. happened in elwood middle school which is where <laughs> i went so funny yeah it's like so low stakes but also real like weirdly specific and Anne complained about the quality of the toilet paper in our elementary school when she gave the sixth grade graduation speech did i really, really? Yes, you did. I don't see. Just me remembers my memories for me. <laughs> you were like, "Why can't we get some Scots up in here?" That's what you said. I was Alan Gray, I guess. So Crocker River said, "Not wrong." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so I feel like in elementary school you have that really shitty like cube toilet paper that comes yes. out yes. one sheet. It's yes. like, come on, yes. yeah, that was a good platform to run on. Did any of you run for or serve as like class <clears throat> officers? Esme did. I was student body president fall of senior year and I was class president spring of senior year. Wow. Yeah. I ran in sixth grade and it was so brutal that I was like never again. So in middle school and high school, I was like, no, thank you. I will not be going into public service. I've had I've had my fill. Yeah. Did you, Danielle? No, I was a swimmer in high school. So I like didn't do a lot of like high school things I guess I did the plays that was it Mm. nice and I was also just like not popular (laughs) see the aforementioned reference to not having any friends (laughs) to having the BSC (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's interesting so we do a sort of gag that we call the BSC big five which is where we use like a personality Uh, test excuse me it's not a gag Very, sorry, scientific, this very scientific, real thing yes. that we do, um, where we assign listeners uh, personalities that are amalgamation of each of the babysitters based on a very scientific and real uh, evidence-based formula. It's very funny that you're the one talking about the scientific and the real. Like, <laughs> well, we I'm doing it discussion about with all, all winks. Yeah. <laughs> but we ask people to talk about like, popularity all these things and we found that a lot of our listeners tend to be people who didn't really have they they identified with Marianne a lot they were very quiet not super outgoing and they loved the BSC I think that what you said like it was like getting back together with my friends really resonates with like why a lot of people who maybe didn't feel so at home in their made kind of social environments really found a home in the BSC and I think that's like really an interesting through line that I've noticed in the years we've been doing this so far for sure yeah and I feel like also the 
like there's something about the members of the BSC, like they're not unpopular, but they're also not popular, right? So there's like, they're this really comfortable middle ground that felt like it was okay to not be one of the popular kids because like you could still have other stuff going on. And I think Mm -hmm. for me, that was like, that was a really important part of my like own like self-knowledge. Yeah. And you also, the thing we've talked about a lot that we really appreciate is that you could also, some of you could be popular and some of you could not. Because Claudia and Stacey And you could still be all friends. And you could still be friends. Like it doesn't, within, outside of the BSC, it does reinforce some of this, but within the BSC, it doesn't reinforce like popular means mean and, you know, studious means loser or whatever. Like they have this variety and this kind of depth to them that doesn't reify some of those like teen movie tropes in the same way that basically all other media in the 80s did (laughs) yeah do you guys talk about I haven't like heard this on an episode but do you guys ever talk about the HBO show the babysitters club we (laughs) (laughs) everybody's faces are like very funny right now (laughs) Esme or Anne you you should take this one (laughs) Anne I don't understand. Like, are we trying to be nice or are you trying to like, I'm just interested in like, if you all had the same, like deep disappointment. Yes. Like a thousand percent. We look like in the, in that universe. Yeah. So Anne and I ordered that. Well, I ordered and we watched them at my house, the VHSs from the back of the books. Um, I didn't have HBO. So I have like physical VHS tapes and cardboard sleeves that we, you know, the first time it was mentioned in like book 45, we were like, yeah. Oh my God, they're making, oh! you know? Yeah. <laughs> and we ordered them and they came to my house and Anne came over right away when the Aww. package came in the mail and we sat down to watch, I think Marianne and the brunettes and we were yep. so excited. And then we were like, what? what? Yeah. This isn't the babysitter's club. I, like, we, Yeah. Very so confused. we made a decision kind of early on when we were planning the podcast to like not talk about it in part because <laughs> gotcha. it was like, <laughs> We don't want to spend our whole show like shit talking the HBO show. So we did do a couple episodes on the new Netflix series where some listeners kind of asked us questions comparing things. So we have here and there like touched on that, that disappointment and tried to sort of like skirt the, the like constant, you know, hammering of the disappointment. But, but that was a shared sentiment for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was just, I mean, like the, oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes me feel welcome in yeah. this circle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't like the movie either. Go on. Uh, yeah. Um. So Danielle, I'm going to pivot to political science corner. I'm going to ask you to come with me on this journey here. I'm here. So the question that I sort of throw am throwing out to you, based on the uh, a through line of discourse that happens primarily between Claudia Janine and, interestingly, Alan Gray in this book, mm-hmm. is did Claudia and Janine predict Cambridge Analytica? So. <laughs> I'm going to need more. <laughs> great. Okay. So there's a moment kind of early on in the book when Christie is first contemplating running where Claudia says, you need like a, what, what does she say? A logo. And a, a logo. Yes. Logo. You need a logo and it yeah. has to be catchy and it has to be whatever. And Christie's like, why? And Claudia's like, because you're selling something. Yeah. And then Janine comes in a couple pages later and is looking at the posters that they've made. And she does this whole little very Janine-like spiel about product identification and how important yeah. that is for consumers. Yeah. And then Alan Gray later also says to something to the effect, 
effect of like, it doesn't matter what you say, actually, it's advertising. Yeah. And I thought this was so fascinating. So what year does this book come out? 91? April 92. <laughs> 92. Middle, yeah, yeah. Presidential election, Bill Clinton's campaign, first campaign is going. Okay. So I was thinking about how like in the early 20th century in political science, right, there's this like massive kind of split in the field that about methods that essentially yeah. leads to the kind of framework for the field of political science and science yeah. is important here that we have now, right? And it's the the emergence of behavioralism, right? Yeah. As like the kind of predominant mode of knowledge making in the study of political uh, of politics. And so there's yeah. this like massive rift after World War II where the sciences are the only place where there's any money. And there's this like notion that if you don't make knowledge that's that follows a certain set of scientific methods, that yeah. either you risk running into ideology or like you're making knowledge that can't be used. And so there's this preference for the generation of models that are predictive in, yeah. in political science. And which like you know, spoiler alert, it's really hard to make predictive models about what people will do in political realms because A, people don't typically make decisions based on rational self-interest, which is like uh. the kind of predominant, like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, like the predominant assumption that My foregrounded whole this whole model, right? I know, same. <laughs> and like, and B, like, you know, a bunch of money got poured into these years of trying to study voter behavior. And voter behavior was like kind of the first subset of the field where this this really took off it's like a thing that can be measured yes it can be measured right you have data on it and so we use that as a way to like generate all these models and make all these predictions and then like none of the predictions came true so so the field is like well <laughs> fuck like how do we study politics scientifically and now we have these like like drastic kind of methodological debates and disagreements over like yeah. what it even means. Are there clocks? Are there clouds? Like which kind of political phenomena what? is it? Um, <laughs> and how lost are you? Did she just say clocks or clouds? Yeah. Okay. She did. No idea. I, I, I thought that I was like along for the ride. Right. And then all of a sudden she said, are there clocks? Are there clouds? And I'm like, I want to invite you to my classes to like give this feel for my students. Wait, before she explains it, Anne, what do you think clocks and clouds have to do with this? I mean, cloud is like a uh, fluffy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, 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 like Mickey Mouse. Like. Yeah. And then clocks okay. is I was like, like facts. Mm, okay. I don't know. That's pretty good. I was picturing like the Super Mario clouds when they, when they, you know, in like three when you have to go up to the coin yeah. realm. But I like the clock. I don't know what to do with the clock. I don't know. Uh, so you're both a little bit right, right? The, <laughs> it's like clocks are mechanical and predictable and clouds are not. Um, yes. fact, mm, we know very okay. little about them and how to predict when and will they will show up and what they will do once uh, they get there. And so the debate, the, the I'm like boiling down 45 years of like yeah. methodological debates in political science, but it. We like it's here. essentially like our political phenomena, clouds or clocks or some amalgamation of the two and, and depending on how we answer that question, what's the best way to approach studying them, right? Yeah, how do and, study and, them? Yeah, so, so I just, feel like... It's just the field that you're just talking about emotions and psychology, um, yeah. but instead you're talking about political behavior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, right, and so I think that... So that's one of the things, too, that, like, people who were early critics of this, the, the like, deployment of behavioralism in political science, um, one of their criticisms was, like, trying to isolate and develop models for political behavior 
at the level of a society or a group is a really different endeavor than trying to scientifically figure out what's going on, like at the level of the brain or at the level of individual behavior, Mm -hmm. right? Um, That there are just so many variables that you can't account for in a way that's meaningful. And so one thing that happens is when you try to distill it so far so that you can isolate a variable, you lose explanatory power. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And the other thing that happens is like when you play fast and loose with your variables and give, you know, try to capture something a little bit bigger, then your model often doesn't predict the thing that you think it's going to. Or like it's not replicable, right? Like you can't, you can't replicate that data, which then like undercuts the validity of the model. Exactly. All all social science is the same. (laughs) (laughs) This is my conclusion. Well, yeah, but I just thought it was so funny. So like in, in the like mid late 20th century voting behavior was like the whole thing that everyone, like all the field of political science, American political science was like obsessed with, like, how do you predict how someone's going to vote? But the, the sensibility was like, you can isolate things like class, um, you know, socioeconomic background, like what, what political party were your parents members of? Right. And so like in the, in the early nineties, like this is still kind of the way that scholars of politics think about voting behavior. And then you have like Claudia, Janine and Alan Gray, who are like a couple of eighth graders and a high school student being like, nah, it's, they're just consuming a product. Yeah. And like, by the time you get to, yeah. And like, by the time you get to political analysis of like the 2016 election, everyone's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. I mean, there's every model we ever had to predict voting behavior is useless. Like there are no patterns. <laughs> it's all <Yeah>. chaos. <laughs> no one is really a rational, self-interested individual making choices to pursue their, you know, their best benefits. And like the best thing we have now is like, we have to try to capture what's happening on the internet as a way to like give us any insight at all into like why people did what they did. And we can only do it after the fact now, right? Like mm-hmm. go well, with here, Danielle, what do you no, think? No, absolutely. And I was just going to say like, and the thing, the like even bigger, I want to call it heartbreak though. I like behavioralism I think is trash. So there's also that, but like the biggest heartbreak about for the people who create models in this way like around 2016, is that those models have never been designed to capture something like internet behavior. Like yeah. it is foreign substance. Mm-hmm. So it's not only that the models are not useful, they're not, it's like apples and oranges. It's like trying to bring something where people are talking about calling up, you know, households <laughs> and asking about voting behavior to now you have like, just like, all of this stuff happening on the internet, it's like this, this like watercolor explosion. I mean, the studies, like the, the surveys that they used to use to study this were like, what political party do your parents identify as? Like, how would you say your household votes? And it's like that, this is not the information that we need to answer pressing questions about what's happening in mm-hmm. the world. You right. know what I mean? Like, <laughs> uh, no, I'm with you. And I, I like really do appreciate the, one of my favorite parts of this book was when Claudia says it and then Janine says it later. Yes. And that's like, like such- heart punch, right? Yeah. <laughs> and who's the one who's like, oh, you guys actually made the, is it Christy? I Christy's think Christy like, says that. Yeah. Yeah. You just made the same argument. Um, I was just like totally bowled over by how all these eighth graders have this insight into how, like how elections really work that w- was not shared by the scholars of that moment in history. <laughs> Well, and it's like, part of it is that they're just over, like, 
the eighth graders have it because the models are overcomplicating because they're trying to overcompensate for not being able to measure the thing that they think they should be measuring. Mm-hmm. Right. There's like a, there's like a who's is bigger thing happening there in a really, really detrimental way. Yeah. Okay. And then one other poli sci nerdy thing, and then we can move, we can move away from, from this, <laughs> uh, this corner of American political science bashing. But there's a moment where Christie's like, I think Grace says something to the effect of may the best man win. And Christie says, woman, no candidate. Yeah. <laughs> and I was thinking about how there was also an era around the early 90s when American political science was really interested in this question of whether women in elected office act differently than than men, right? And the the kind of um, uh, sort of motivating hypothesis was that women might be more compassionate sort of yeah. legislators and rulers and that they might um, put more money into sort of the caring dimension mm-hmm. of of ruling than yeah. the war making one for example mm-hmm. and there was so much stuff on this for like 15 years and basically what falls out of all of it is that like there's not a meaningful difference <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah it's like it's like an extension or like an application of the ethic of care stuff right which mm-hmm. is like happening earlier than than this moment but it's like yeah. okay this is how it affects politics i feel like i have friends in grad school who are still reading the like the the feminist IR literature that's mm-hmm. trying like international relations that's trying to push back against the idea that like women as soldiers are like or women in leadership positions like maybe are less are, war prone or something yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. like see um, um, Margaret Thatcher <laughs> so but I have a question for you all about that like in in a thought experiment where women leaders were not still the significant minority like I feel like if we're if we're saying you know you're inserting a woman as a political leader in an ostensibly not ostensibly in an actually patriarchal system mm-hmm. that is still a patriarchy um, but she has one position in it that is still 70 80 percent male yeah. Um, is that really that experiment? Like, can we really well, say that if the vast majority of leaders are still men and and women are needing to assert, needing to not cry, needing to pro- project toughness? Whereas if we had a magic wand, like all the libertarians want, and we could suddenly have a bunch of women in charge instead of a bunch of men in charge, could it, might it look different? Yeah, so I think this is one of the kind of, kind of like points where that methodological divergence is really crucial because you can't counterfactually come up with a model that would prove how and why and what the threshold of conditions would be where mm-hmm. that tip would happen and how we could predict what the outcomes would be. But I think you can have a structural systemic analysis of patriarchy that would absolutely lead you to the condition that like should more people in general who had for example, exper- like experiential knowledge about what it's like to be right. um, uh, like poor, abjectly, you know, like yeah. valuable as a human. And like, how mm-hmm. would those would a would a, like a bigger concentration of people like that in positions of power change kind of what power looks mm-hmm. like that we could we could talk a lot about that at the level of kind of at, at, at the theoretical level and and with some like certainty, I think about like how it would play mm-hmm. out. But but you can't there aren't models in the like old school kind of political science way. And as me and I talk about science a lot on this 
podcast because Esme is an evidence-based psychologist, obviously. But I'm like, yeah. the problem with the science and political science is how it, it attached itself to one really tiny version of what science is in mm-hmm. 1950. And yeah. that's the, the only thing that science has well, been in the discipline. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's similar yeah. problems to the problems in social psychology and the replication mm-hmm. crisis and all of that. I mean, it right, sounds yeah. like yeah. it's not, it's not far afield. That's why I said right. social science is the same. <laughs> right. So like we love science, but like not that, not that yeah. version of it that lets us say very little. Right. Cause like if we're, you know, attached to this model, then like we can say that that's a counterfactual that we can't really answer. Right. But like mm-hmm. we have a lot of other evidence that would, lead us to think that like probably yeah it would matter (laughs) right well it's also like it's science that is not only like attached to this one very small definition of science but it's also like science that is like only or at least primarily predictive right so like yes like I both of those things what both of those things in my view do is like start to corrupt the like political part of Mm -hmm. political science yeah is about yeah. to have a Derrida rant. I'm not going to have it. <laughs> our our listener um, audience might not be the right yeah, yeah, yeah. for the Derrida rant, but I am here for it. We can have it later Great. over drinks next time you're in town. Perfect. <laughs> and if you really want one, you can join our Patreon and maybe we'll uh, put that. <laughs> yeah. During our Patreon, we'll have Danielle on as a special Derrida rant patron <laughs> guest. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Very present in the dissertation. I know, right? Okay, are you guys sick of political science? What? Where else do you want to take us? <laughs> I mean, never. And I can <laughs> I can talk a little bit about Christie's anxiety. I I know Anne was like texting us like, "Who's this ghostwriter? This book is bad." Um, but so this is Nola Thacker. It's her introductory ghostwritten book in the BSC. So we'll see if she gets better. She's got we've got like thirty more to go. So, um, but this is her first wow. one. But I was quite impressed by um in chapter 11 christie's insomnia anxiety breakdown actually i thought it was very good (laughs) um Mm -hmm. and she's got a couple apt metaphors here that um i think i i have heard clients use so she's running through whether she should step down from the bsc what she like what she can give up and she says the thought gave me a sharp pain in the stomach but i reminded Mm -hmm. myself it would only be temporary And then, of course, with every thought, I had to turn over or thump the pillow or pull on the covers. It wasn't like being in bed at all. It was like swimming in choppy water, just trying to stay afloat. I'm, oh. I might cry reading I that. I know. Um, I can hear it. It's so <laughs> perfect. It's just, I feel like it's such a lovely description of what anxiety does to your brain and like for Christy, luckily it's, it's a sh- temporary short-term thing because she, she's having, you know, there's a solution, which is a uh, spoiler, everyone, she decides to step down and not run for president. Yeah. Um, and um, I just thought it was really well rendered. And the way she was struggling with it, and the you know, since she decides to get up and study for her science test that she failed in the middle of the night. And, and she's, you know, 13 is really young, she's very young. And so she's kind of like, it's weird being awake when everybody else is asleep in the house. And it's like, very quiet and I can hear the pages of my book, but she's also not really synthesizing any of the information from her yeah. science book. And I just thought it was a, it was a nice piece of vulnerability from Christy, which we don't always get because she is so organized and she is so on top of things. Um, and I just found it, you know, super relatable, both personally and 
um, I, I spent a lot of time listening to people talk about their anxiety. So I was just curious how, how it hit and landed for the rest of you. Hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah. It made me stressed a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've all been there. Yeah. Yeah. The not being able to get comfortable in bed really resonated with me, like, mm-hmm. and not being able to sleep when like your mind is like running. It just made me sad because I, I feel like there were times where I had versions of that when I was in like seventh or eighth grade, mm-hmm. um, when I was trying to do more than I should have been doing. And so like, there was a lot about this book that just felt really like, I, I'm like, oh, I've been in that before. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait. And she does. She does cry. She cries when she takes the second science test and fails it oh, again and yeah. apologizes yeah. to Miss Griswold. And is running away with tears in her eyes. And that was just that, that feeling of, you know, being a kid and just like really fucking up, you know, like that's not in line with Christy's values. Like she's a good student. She cares about it. Even though she doesn't love science, she usually does. Okay. She likes her teacher. Fine. She didn't, the teacher was like really kind and probably wasn't very fair of her to let Christy take the test again. Um, And then she still, you know, shits the bed and is like that, that mixture of like anxiety and sadness and shame all at once. Shame, big driver of tears more so than a lot of other things. Um, so yeah, so that was, that's the most psychology I'm going to, I'm really going to get in this book, but I thought that that chapter in particular, while Nola Thacker may have left some things to be desired from Anne's perspective. Um, I thought was was really really well done. <laughs> Damn, calling Anne out. Yeah. <laughs> you know what it is. I think it's the dialogue seemed a little bit okay, uh, fair enough. Choppy, forced to me between, uh-huh. and I feel like I feel like this writer didn't. It is her first book, but I feel like she didn't know the characters very well. I think she yeah. did a good job of Christy, but there's some other things. Well, I'll let. Going yeah. like the Mary Poppins yeah. thing, for example. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. We'll get there. Like, come on. Yeah. No. So and yeah. that's the biggest grievance, I think, that, yeah. that you I have sh- that I share with okay. you. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. Well, I I really did want to ask you, like, so Jamie Newton. Okay, let's talk about Jamie's bike fears. Oh my god. So over the spike. It's so intense. Okay. First of all, is Jamie still four? Yeah, he I mean I think he's all four the forever. Yeah. Right. So Four-year-olds usually don't start on a two-wheeler unless they're like, you know, now it's 2022 and everybody gets a balance bike first and nobody uses training wheels anymore. But like a four-year-old in the 90s. balance bike? Oh, see, yeah, you guys don't have kids. It's like a short bike. All the all the listeners with kids are like, how do they not know what I, I know what that is. I've seen those. Okay. They're bullshit. <laughs> it's bullshit. No, I was kidding. Yeah. <laughs> it's tricycle sized, but it it's like a two-wheeler. And the kids can put their feet on the ground and they just push and roll. So it like gives you the feeling of what a two wheeler is like. Um, So it's too close to ground. So you can't really like fall off of it. You don't have to, but it teaches you how to balance. So then you never really need training wheels. That's the theory. Most kids. Honestly. Okay. My kids had training wheels. I had training wheels. I I learned how to ride a bike pretty fast. It was fine. It was fine too. (laughs) But like, so I just don't, I, but I'm I'm not I'm not kidding. I don't understand the relationship between the Jamie plot and the Christy plot. Like I really don't like I don't get it. It's too complex for me. What is why? What is it? Explain well, there, it. that one line when Jamie's yeah. like, sometimes you can't. You have to take a break <laughs> from practice. And I'm like, what? Oh, that's it. That's yeah. the, that's the that's well, the. Well, and then 
and then Christy says after it's like, oh, like Jamie really like uh, he was like, trying to do to too layers. much. Yeah, like some version of something that. like that. It makes no sense. Wow, he wasn't trying to do too much. He was trying to do one thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he was like and- laser focused on the one thing, yeah. which is not what's wrong with Christy. No, right. at all. Wow. Yeah. Okay, I didn't think it. I, I, four year olds don't have a laser focus on anything. <laughs> um, four year olds don't tend to worry that much about bodily harm. You, you, the reason kids often get afraid of riding a bike is because they're like six, seven and it's a different developmental stage and they do a lot of projecting into the future. And, but four-year-olds don't, which is why balanced bikes are good. That's one of the arguments for them is that they, they don't oh. worry as much. So they get used to the balance. Okay. So the Jamie thing was all super developmentally off. I was like, on board with it until I remembered that he's not seven and a half, he's four. And then I was like, the hell? Newton's, what are you doing? Is so, there is there like a version of it where it makes a little bit more sense, but still doesn't make sense because like he's a new big brother. And so there, the parents are like trying to make him feel more grown sure. up. Yes. I think that that's a very astute observation, Danielle. And I think that that is what's <laughs> happening. And it's all still he, dumb. Don't yeah, like he probably wouldn't have reacted that way. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. as the oldest child, I'm just like, oh, I definitely like, through temper tantrums about stuff, especially after other siblings were born. Uh, mm. Yeah. But she's yeah. been a baby for a long time now. Yeah, I know. It's been like three years. Um, <laughs> Very generous take. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So those are my main psychology things. Okay. Um, <laughs> nothing, nothing huge. Um, Bart was also cute. I have two questions for the group, one, one of which is kind of a transition into um, and section. So I'll ask the other one first. Um, my big question is, what I feel like is you're this... moderating a panel right yeah. now. <laughs> what on page 77, what is this sweater that they have Christy put on to look more presentable? Oh, yeah. I am having a really hard time picturing anything that is not the most hideous item of clothing I've ever seen in my life. So, I know exactly what it yeah. is. <laughs> Claudia was doing some digging too. Here, why don't you ever wear this? This was an enormous sweater of a sort of creamy brown with little black and green stripes running across it. I shrugged. Try it on, said Claudia. So Claudia thinks it looks good, but I don't think that anything should ever be creamy brown. Well, you you also don't like brown. No, but... No, creamy brown That's a gross... You could say chocolate brown. There's a lot of... Like, I... I like brown, by the way. Okay, why like is it clothes. why is it gross like to you? People. Why I is like creamy? Nature. Why is creamy gross? I I just feel like it's like uh, I don't know. I'm picturing like cream of mushroom soup. I don't like it. Just something about it doesn't sound like a nice color for a sweater. What you guys are all into it? You're like, yeah, bring me a creamy <laughs> no. Brown I agree with you. I'm I'm like the face is at the sweater, not at you. Okay, <laughs> it's probably I, a beige. It's a beige. I'm guessing. Yeah. Color. Why wouldn't you say beige? I don't Fair. know. But it also like this, right? This book comes out in '92, so this is one of those like oversized, yes, like V-neck sweaters. Yes, that like your like maybe it's your dad's, but actually it's yours. Mm-hmm. Like that's what it was. Yes, and so for Claudia, it was like trendy, but yeah. the pattern was terrible. Right? <laughs> I just can't imagine anything that is whether it's beige or creamy brown that has black and green stripes. What? Anyway. <laughs> 
So so that was upsetting. (laughs) I was really upset. I was because part of the reason you read it is for the outfit descriptions. And and they might be something that you wouldn't wear, but it's not something that you're usually like, oh, my God, did I just throw up a little? Like, I can't. It's very upsetting. Okay. Then my question for you, Anne, as an actual brand strategist and somebody who names things for Mm -hmm. a living and does stuff like that, is K plus a good campaign strategy? I, I don't really like it. It doesn't like, I know they're trying to do the A plus like, mm-hmm. like the plus I, a lot of people use the plus sign as an additive to their branding, but I feel mm-hmm. like K plus to me sounds like, like a drug or like, mm-hmm. yeah. or it reminds me of special K. Yeah. Um, it just, if the I, drug or the cereal, uh, both. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The crossover serial yeah. drug. Yeah, I mean, it's catchy. Which one are you getting? It's ca- SLK plus. It's it's catchy, and it's good mm-hmm. for it's good for eighth grade, I guess. Okay, but well, is Jamie's slogan of Christy for Prez? She's the Bez. Better? No, no. <laughs> Should we try to think of a better campaign slogan for Christy right now? Sure. Okay. My brain jumped to make Stony Brook great again. Oh my god. <laughs> But I think I'm just broken. Yeah. What I like about that is that there's not like an extra vowel. So mm-hmm. there's no like word you could yes. say out of mm-hmm. those syllables. Mm-hmm. Of, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, you could play off her last name, Thomas. Mm-hmm. Mm. This is where and- Anne comes up with something that has to do with English muffins. I, I, I knew that you were going to say she that. She does like English muffins. She ate it for breakfast in this book. She did. Yeah. And Emily and Michelle. Oof. Yeah. I was just talking about English muffin pizzas the other day. Oh. Mm-hmm. Delicious. Um, so what, does, does do Thomas English muffins have a slogan? No wow. St. Fanny's or something? Yeah. Oh. They did have. I don't I know that, feel that like there were a lot of commercials for them school. when I was a kid. And it's not. President it's weird that it's not coming to me and Anne immediately. It is something to do with yeah. nicks and crannies. Yeah. Christy, Thomas will get in there. Like. We'll get into those next. I don't know. That's not good. Sorry. That's not good. You're fired. (laughs) Maybe they did the best with what they with what they had. (laughs) Maybe that's what the conclusion is. Yeah, Danielle's absolutely right. It was just nooks and crannies. Hmm. Just that? Yeah. The slogan was nooks and crannies. Thomas for Prez, nooks and crannies. (laughs) Yeah. That's um, I'm into you it. know what? I feel like I'm gonna start. I, I feel like Crannies is a good nickname for you, Emily. Mm, <laughs> yeah. Who can we, can we call Matt Nooks? Oh yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Nooks and I think crannies. we want to have Nooks and Crannies. What's the difference this weekend? <laughs> Between a nook and a cranny? Yeah. A nook is like the hole. One of us has a beard and the other one is shorter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. That's right. all my stuff. What do you have, Anne? <laughs> Very good. Great segue. <laughs> yeah, good segue. Great transition. Thanks, Crannies. Um, so while I was reading this book, a couple things came to mind. Well, there's little there's little nuggets I have, which are more questions. Great. So we already talked about Ellen Gray punching a lot of girls in this book. So I'll skip over that. Okay, can okay, can you guys go to page um 29? And maybe I'm reading this, maybe I'm reading this wrong, but it's when Christy's talking about Dawn's eating habits. And she says, plus she will not eat junk food or red meat, but she will eat tofu and real live fruit. Yes, I saw. I what does that, that even mean? 
I don't know. So I took it to mean like. <laughs> well, no, but the opposite of a live fruit is a tomato. <laughs> what? Is, what do you mean? The- no, an apple. Sorry, an apple. No, no. She's saying an apple is a live fruit. Like an apple is okay, but it's not her first choice. I think what she meant by live fruit, as someone who grew up with a lot of processed foods in my lunchbox, I think she's talking, she's like, it's not a fruit roll up. It's not a popsicle. Yeah. It's not applesauce. Oh. Like, it's just like whole fruit gross. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not like a kombucha where the, the like mother is alive. Right. I can't. <laughs> I am definitely a Christy in this scenario. <laughs> like, get your kombucha off my body. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Yeah, I did think that was a really hilarious description, but also like probably pretty apt for an eighth grader from Connecticut. Connecticut, yeah. Born in the 70s. Born in the yeah. That's yeah. true. Okay, yeah. then let's talk about this Mary Poppins passage. Ooh. This is where the writing really got to me. Because I was like, <laughs> they would never have this conversation. So we all know Anna Martin loves Mary Poppins. And she brings it up every chance you can get. <laughs> but this writer decides to talk shit on it. And turns the entire Babysitter's Club against it. And Stacy doesn't even defend it, which is like, it's her all-time favorite movie. Yeah. That was the most unbelievable thing about the plot of this book to me, that Stacy wouldn't be like, what the fuck? What's your beef with Mary Poppins? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it goes, um, Christy says, Mary Poppins, disgusting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mary Poppins is not disgusting. How is it? How would Mary, how is Mary Poppins disgusting? I don't know. Exactly. And then... <laughs> I rest my case. Yeah. Okay. And then Don calls it babyish. Now, if it was a raisin in the sun. Okay, Don. (laughs) Sure. Okay, eighth grade. Don's an Mm -hmm. ally, you guys. Yeah, but no one likes Mary Poppins, and that really bothered me. I'm glad that everyone felt the same way. I feel like that's how you know that it's a ghostwriter and not Anne. But it even got like a mention on like the book cover. Oh. How babyish can you get on the back? Yeah, yeah, I texted it. I picked up the book to start reading it after we recorded the last episode. And then I saw that and texted Anne and Emily mm-hmm. immediately. I was like, what? Yeah. And then it, so I started thinking as I was reading this book, what if the Babysitter's Club universe was a little bit more mature? Like perhaps more like a sweet valley? Mm. How would this be handled? Chrissy's plot line. Then I started thinking about the famous Save by the Bell episode where Jesse Spano does too much and she gets, mm-hmm. oh and she can't God. handle her schedule much like Christy. And she starts yeah. taking caffeine pills. Uh huh. And You're remember brilliant. she freaks out yeah. and it's like, I'm so excited. I'm so, so scared. I'm so, so scared. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and Jesse definitely is a Christy. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So I was, I did a little reading and I forgot the exact plot points of that episode, but the episode is called Jesse's Song. And I guess what was her busy Jessie's schedule? Song? Jesse's Song is what it's called. Oh. Yeah. Because oh. in the sh- in that episode, her and Kelly Kapowski and Lisa Turtle start a singing girls group. Yeah. Oh. Um that, and- that's what that's what tips the scales for her not running for president. Not, yeah. They make an yeah. exercise yeah. video. Yeah. And then at the-, like the video is exercise theme. Yeah. And then oh when God. she's um has her breakdown, she's trying to cram for a geometry test. So if Christy did drugs, what <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. 
I won't, I won't make you guys answer that question. Coke, Adderall. Sorry, were you just about to say if Christy did drugs, what drug would she do? What would be her drug of choice? Yeah. Oh. Definitely Adderall. Adderall. Yeah, Adderall. Yeah. Right. <laughs> this is 92. Adderall's not on the market yet, so it would have to be just standard Ritalin. Sorry. Mm. I'm going to bring in okay. the Veritas. Would she snort it? Ritalin. Would she crush it up and snort it? Oh or God. would she just yeah. take the pill? <laughs> No. <laughs> she just take she would take Jackie Rodowski's Ritalin. Yeah. 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 But she would take like Coke. half of the prescribed dose of Jackie Rodowski. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Ja- Jackie's a kid that has to have an afternoon pill also. Yeah. So like, they didn't have it, they didn't have extended release in the early 90s. So they would give you like a smaller oh, pill right after school. God, when Pete from Pete and Pete is playing Jackie Rodowski. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm I'm angry. Anyway, <laughs> it's a bad show. It's a bad show, Danielle. It's You're a not bad wrong. Show. Uh, and then the one other thing I thought of, since this is about a presidential campaign, was I was trying to think, the most famous presidential campaign move of all time is Bill Clinton playing the saxophone on Arsenio Hall. Arsenio Hall. And you guys might be a little bit young to have witnessed that, like in real time, but it was huge. And, we were in eighth grade. And people, like, I did just some brief reading on it, and people are saying that's, like, basically what got him the, the election. And, you know, because he won over black voters, essentially. Yeah. And it was two months after this. It was also in 1992. Interestingly, I guess when before he went on the show, Arsenio was like, oh, your tie, you got to switch that tie up. Because he was wearing like a very like a, a very like stately like whatever yeah. you know striped mm-hmm. tie, so Arsenio yeah, gave him was like this is not the commodity that the consumers want exactly. Buy. Uh-huh. So he gave yeah. uh, Emily. Emily, I think you mean condiment. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he gave him like a yellow tie to wear that was like much louder. And then right before I went on stage, one of his senior strategists uh, said, "Oh, where where are my sunglasses?" which were like his the Ray-Bans he wore. Mm-hmm. And Bill Clinton was like, oh, I don't know if I should wear those. And James Carvel was like, I make all the pre-Beatles decisions, but this other younger strategist makes post-Beatles <laughs> decisions. <laughs> oh, so man. she was like, you need, wow. to, you need to wear the sunglasses. So he wore them on the show. And do you remember what song he played on the saxophone? I do not. I don't either. It was Heartbreak Hotel. Oh, yes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. How did we fall for it as Gen X? Uh, like, I feel like, I feel like such well, a, you weren't old enough to vote. No, but yeah. the rest of Gen X was. I was yeah. like, we, I was 14, and I were 14. Yeah. So, and we're very young Gen Xers. Was that a clock um, or a cloud? Am I using yeah. that right? No. <laughs> That's a fucking cloud, Anne. Okay. <laughs> It's all, here's the thing. They're all clouds. They're all, they're all clouds, okay. <laughs> got it, got it. <laughs> and then my last little tidbit slash complaint is on page one ti- 119, Claudia misspells Jamie's name in the same entry. Like he spells, she, she spells it correctly once and then misspells it like two sentences uh, later. And I was like, really? Yeah. Do you have to make Claudia seem that dumb? I definitely started like skipping the journal entries at some point while I was reading, like when I was younger, because it would mm. make me angry how dumb they made Claudia seem. With Thank you. Writing. I really and takes it very personally. I do. <laughs> Spelling is not correlated with intelligence, you guys. She's careless. She's not dumb. 
I'm I'm standing by my ADHD diagnosis of Claudia Kishi. Uh, yeah, like why she early on in our show, Danielle, uh, as me diagnosed Claudia yeah. with ADHD. Oh, so then Christy <laughs> would still Claudia's Ritalin. Yeah, right. oh, yeah, yeah, she wouldn't have yeah. to go to yeah. Jackie. Yeah. No, because why would she? No, Claudia's clearly not medicated. But why would she bother? She knows that it's low stakes. Like, just the other babysitters are reading it. She's not going to bother to, like, pay close attention or proofread or, like, she's just trying to get her thoughts down. She knows they'll understand it. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter how you spell his name. I know, but spelling mistakes would make me anxious. Right, because you're not a Claudia. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Claudia don't care. No, <laughs> Claudia does not care. Claudia's like, well, I will, sp- you know what I will spell correctly? Your logo. Yeah, it means the world. Exactly. (laughs) The line in the book where she's like, oh, uh, something, something, school. But like, except for art, art's not school. And I was like, okay, that's like a little too heavy handed on the Claudia, like, Mm -hmm. an artist. It is an interesting point of divergence, though, right? That like school is just a kind of umbrella term for things I don't enjoy. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's kind of how I used she it. She does art at school. I was going to say, that's. I think that Anne will really vibe with that as the Claudia on the call and the three of us with PhDs would not describe the world in that way. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, it's like being in school. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, oh, really? Like, awesome? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I love school. <laughs> yeah. Why didn't I love school? I really did not like school. I could not wait to get out of school. I wasn't bad I mean, at it, but too many rules that's the thing mm-hmm. yeah because you're such a rebel such a rebel you know it's really interesting i was not a great student i got good grades when i wanted to but there were many classes that i was like i'm not interested in this and i just kind of let it because you're go. such an individual you're like <laughs> i do what i dumb. want yeah and i'm like so competitive mm. with myself but with my family i was gonna say mm. you're the eldest of how many five mm-hmm. yeah Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my so it's me a year and a half my sister Caitlin a year and a half my brother Kieran so it's three of us in three years then there's a four and a half year gap my sister Becky and then two years and Tori and so Tori and I are 10 years and a week apart wow mm-hmm. oh it's like me and Emily mm-hmm. 10 yeah. years apart <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's so funny yeah so like my- did you pass down your BSC books literally not one of them wanted to read them <gasps> like <laughs> the shot my, audacity my sister caitlin who's who was the grade behind me but she's a year and a half younger than me and like we are very close but she literally did not read a book for pleasure until she was like 23 and i think it's because i was so obsessed with the babysitters club that it just like ruined books for her wow. yeah, she had to define so herself a different way yeah yeah, yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. All right. And there was a lot more junk food in this book than in the- There was. Pages. I've got uh, Oreos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sweet and sour gummy bears. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Tropical jelly beans. Uh. Big Newtons. And <laughs> fruki Frukies. Yeah. This is Frukies. Sorry. Yeah. The what? Frukies? Frukies fruit juice cookies. Fruit juice oh, cookies. Stacey can eat. Oh, yeah. Those are a real thing. I remember those. I thought that was his house up. had those. No, they're real. I think Hillary's house had some of those frookies. <laughs> I do <laughs> love that like Stacy gets her own snacks. Like it's just like it's so caring. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's very. I always think it's so funny when the pretzels are for Stacey and Don. I'm like, pretzels aren't even that healthy. (laughs) I know. I still think pretzels are healthy because I know because of the (laughs) totally. I'm like, I'm taking care of myself with this healthy snack of pretzels. Yeah, I salt and carbs. (laughs) One of the snacks that I eat to this day that I ate as a child is pretzels and string cheese. Mm, Yeah. Very good. Drink some cheese, wrap it around a pretzel, call it a snack. Yeah. I have mm-hmm. string cheese in my fridge. Mm-hmm. At all times. Yeah. At all Unless times. I've eaten it all and then I have to go get more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, didn't they also have taco chips again? I feel like we, we got some taco chips again oh. in this book. Mm-hmm. I missed that Early if there were. Let's just Did we decide that we those are tortilla chips or? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Did you call them taco chips when you were growing up, Danielle? No. Yeah. And I feel like taco chips are Fritos. Mm. Oh. Mm-hmm. Because I but feel so, like they're corn. Right. Mm. Other tortilla chips are corn, right? I mean, but no one calls them taco chips. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I, didn't, yeah. I was wondering if it was a regional thing. I was thinking Danielle could school all of us Californians if it, if it was. Mm. But no. No. Unless, like, unless taco chips is the generic name for Fritos, mm-hmm. then, like, no. I've, yeah. never, I've never seen them in the wild. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's a... It's a cloud. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it, they're all clouds. Now Anne's a political theorist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Next up, um, Derrida. Hey, you, you politicians never mentioned Stacey's uh, hilarious Marie Antoinette reference. Oh, um, let them let the cake. Yeah. Wait, we haven't even talked about the fact that Mallory also runs for an office. Oh, yes. she wins. Yeah, yeah, and wins. And yeah. it's like such a it's such an afterthought it's not even like a b or a c plot it's like attached it's like a one or like a A two yeah but it's like they mention it in the beginning and then they mention it again at the end jesse's like oh i have to go vote for mallory and i was like i fully forgot that this was part of this book well and that's where the clocks are right because mallory's little logo is a is a clock let Mm. mallory take the minutes very clever Mm. very clever Mm. that's better than k plus yeah exactly yeah great branding strat (laughs) yeah Yeah. Uh, hacked so many people's news feeds Oh my god. I just want to say one last thing about the Jamie plot. Yes. Which is why are all of these like 13-year-olds being controlled and masterminded by this 4-year-old? Like just say no. Yes. <laughs> nope. Lucy needs some attention, man. We're going to play a board game inside and let her toddle around. Not Let's that hard. Watch a movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do literally anything else. He doesn't want Great a point. snack. Like that's the yeah. I don't believe that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I just needed to get that. I have it in my notes like controlled by little kid bike subplot WTF. <laughs> yeah. It's very good. It's fair. It's fair. It's very fair. <laughs> Not a lot of tallies in this book. We got one sophisticated, one individualist, and one shy. Individualist and individual are not the same. Uh, yeah, but they are in the BSC universe and you need to. But also, them. that's not attributed to Dawn. Oh, you're right. Some random kid. You're right. It is. Yeah. Right. Good point. Okay. Just two shies and one sophisticated. Emily was paying attention. <laughs> I was. Well, I got really mad about that the first time it was used. So, Danielle, we've been tracking, how would you describe these? Just the descriptors, I guess, but yeah. like the that get attached, the trope descriptors that get attached to all the girls through oh, the series. Okay. And it's interesting to see when they're like are most used and when they kind of fall out. But there's one book where instead of calling Don an individual, they call her an individualist. And I was like, uh-uh, those are two different things. <laughs> individualism is a different thing yeah 
I had a fun rant about that. Yeah, they don't <laughs> think so, though. <laughs> I support it. Did anyone have a favorite weird line that we think would be appropriate for a title episode? I mean, I really like, like, best woman, best candidate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's pretty good. But I don't know if it was, like, title worthy. I, I mean, it's a good contender for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't there, like, an I mean in it? Best woman, I mean, or... I or think like there's, a, there's a, a dash. Dash. Oh, love a dash. Great. Love okay. Drawn to a dash. <laughs> yeah. I wrote down political monster, but I didn't write the page reference. So I don't remember if Christy's referring to herself or to Grace or... It's pretty good. To whom? I think I she like refers that. to herself when she says that. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. That she was being shook out of her mm-hmm. political monsterness. Yeah. That's a good one. How about you, Annie? Um, I just wrote down a response from Christy about Alan. And she just says the worst. Yeah. <laughs> it's its own paragraph. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that's actually a really good episode title. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> for president. The worst. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's I that's my vote. The yeah, worst. That's mine also. Okay. Great. Great. <laughs> I think it matters that it has its own paragraph. Yeah. yeah. Some gravitas. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And also that it's about Alan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who did hit women and run for president. So he is the worst. Okay. We have come to the time to choose a pizza toast. Okay. Usually Esme gives mm. something sincere and then Emily and I make fun of her. <laughs> and then I have a sincere one. Okay. Oh. Another Christie in our midst. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just here for the solidarity. I love it. <laughs> I, I the part where you know, Christy's on stage and she like looks to where the BSC is usually sitting and, and then realizes that oh, is Esme gonna cry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. So good. Keep, keep, it. Talking. keep talking, keep talking. So when she like looks to where the BSC is, <laughs> this is amazing. It usually sits and like only sees one of them and then looks around and sees that they're like sitting all over the place so she can like look everywhere and feel comfortable. I just felt like that was so sweet that they like spread out to support her. Like they knew that she would need it. Yeah. yeah. Including okay. Logan. Yeah. <laughs> and Logan. even though it's Christy and she's like got her shit together and she's tough, they like show up for her. Yes. Yeah. That definitely has my vote, Danielle. <laughs> there, yes, okay. Did you squeeze out some tears? Yeah, for sure. Yes. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Close up. Yeah, I mean, I'm I can pizza toast at BSC Solidarity. I I'm a fan. So are we Toasting to like friendship or something. Yeah. Oh my god, Anne, such a bee. (laughs) (laughs) So like friendship or. (laughs) It was very sweet. Podcast with my Um, best friend about friendship. Yeah, BSC moral support. I don't know what's the what. You're the brand strategist. Tell us how to make it catchy. (laughs) Um. To. Don't they like say like isn't there like a friends forever type of theme in, in the Babysitters Club? Like in every single book, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, well this toast to um pizza toast to BSC moral support. To BSC, BSC moral, moral support. support. We have real pizza here. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and before we go, Danielle, where can our listeners find you? Anything you'd like to plug, your podcast? Yeah, so you can find me um, on Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast with mine and Emily's very dear friend, John McMahon. We talk about TV shows and political theory. And like we're mostly doing The Americans, but also I have convinced John to 
do some MCU shows with me, much to his chagrin. Nice. Yeah. Um, he's, yeah a, he's, he's a critic. <laughs> and Danielle's a fan. He's a real critic. Yeah, yeah. So I have a chapter coming out in like an MCU and politics edited volume. So nice. I'm like really excited to, to think the MCU as a text. John is less excited about that. Amazing. Yeah, you can find me there. Um, you can find me on Twitter at thecornell26. Um, yeah, and like, tell me what BSE characters you are and what book is your favorite book. <laughs> awesome. Thank you yes. so much for coming, Dr. Hanley. It has been fantastic. This has um, been amazing. So, yeah, Thank we'll, you. we'll call you in another 40 books when, when Abby yeah. comes on board. I'm, I'm like penciling it in right now. <laughs> <laughs> This episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is now adjourned. Thank you to Anna Martin for everything. Stuck in Stony Brook is edited by Emily Crandall. Theme song written and recorded by Gary Schaller, performed by the band Kid Kid. You can follow us on Instagram at Stuck in Stony Brook or find us on our website, stuckinstonybrook.com. Need some books that we mentioned? Buy them from our bookshop and support both the local independent bookstore and your favorite series literature analysis podcast. Find us at bookshop.org slash shop slash stuck in Stony Brook. Lastly, if you're feeling doubly generous and you want to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, that would be super helpful. You're the best friend the girl could ask for. <laughs>